Yeah, there are a couple good ones and those are magical. And I like feel like I can't understand why I'm so excited to read an RFP at those moments. Mm -hmm. Like what does my life become? But also there are some really, really bad ones. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Gina. Hey, Paul. We've had some interesting people on the show. Wouldn't you think so? Absolutely. We sure have. And one of the the most interesting conversations I think you can have on a marketing-focused enterprise podcast like this one is with people who you might think are your competitors or who work in the same space and work with clients and do all kinds of stuff. Like we talked to Tracy Zimmerman from Robots and Pencils. Yes, I love talking to other other agency folks, competitors or not. A, there's enough for everybody. B, it's the worst way to approach software building. You know, it's just it's just ridiculous that we would get into it doing it this way. And yet here we all are. So Gina, who is here? Who is in the studio? The studio, which is Google Me. We have two really great guests today. I'm so excited. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna let them introduce themselves, but it's Emily and Lauren. Hello, my name is Emily Wrightmore. I'm based in Asheville, North Carolina, and excited to be joining you both. And hi, I'm Lauren Lockwood. I'm also excited to be joining you from just outside of Philadelphia. And we're joining from Bloom, which is uh, the agency in question that we, we founded a few years ago. When you founded it, when, when the firm started, what was your intention? What were you trying to build? I think, so Emily and I were both coming out of government positions. And so I think in a lot of ways, Bloom was essentially what we, we wish we had had when we worked in government. So partners who had been through this stuff before, who could be coaches through doing procurement a different way or designing a service a different kind of way so that we weren't sort of learning everything for the first time with each project. I mean, be the thing that you wish you had in the world is such a good founding uh, vision and principle for a, an, any business, I think. Sure. I'm just, but my brain immediately went like, be a really present dad. Like that's not a business. Anyway. All right. All right. Back it up. So what I want to know here, because you alluded to something that is vast and involves billions and billions of dollars of procurement and spending every year. And you were just like, yeah, I wish I wish it was better. Government contracting and like working with the government, working inside of the government. Like, can you wrap that up in just a couple sentences for us? Like, why is that different. And what I'll do is I'll describe the postlight process. The postlight process is, hey, postlight, I saw your website. Friend of us said you were pretty good. I'm a company, even maybe sometimes a large organization, sometimes a civic organization or a government organization. But there we're usually kind of an outsider. I'm a company. I have a certain budget. I want to get moving. I have some Q4 goals. I want you to help us build. We got to fix up this platform, import this data and get an app out into the marketplace. Can you do it? We say yes. It'll cost this much. Round and round we go. And then they say, all right, let's get started. That's our whole process. How would you compare the government procurement process to that? At one point in my time in government, someone referred to security in the government as a dense fog. And I think a dense fog actually is an appropriate way to say um, (laughs) what it feels like to work in a giant bureaucracy or a small bureaucracy. It doesn't actually matter the size. Like when I was at the VA, it was really hard to know how to get some simple things done. What would, like an example of a simple thing? Accessing your computer if you get locked out, how to reset your house. Okay, so actual simple. Like, <laughs> like basic yeah. table stakes stuff. And then additionally, like if you wanted to procure technology or figure out how to like, you know, use a cloud service for hosting 
a website. That was that was the thing we did. And it took it took a long ass time to figure out. And we were the first ones who ever did it at the VA. And that was monumental, but it felt like it shouldn't have been. <laughs> I think what is kind of nice about sort of Lauren's framing of it with be what you wished you had is having like a partner on the outside who can help you navigate the incredible complexity that just ends up feeling like a dense fog <laughs> and and help you get to a goal that feels like it should be something that you had all along, but you don't. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you start where you are, right? You, there's always that moment afterwards where you're like, wow, we could have avoided all of that. But how does the partner cut through the fog? I mean, I think it's parts like understanding that you do have to cut through the fog and help helping with it. But I think for us, we're both just tenacious like that, where we'll just keep trying different angles and keep trying to figure out how to make something work, whether it feels like it should have been easier or not. Because I think that's one of the magical things about working in government is that once you do something, I'm mixing metaphors, but you've, you've got a path for it. And you can do it more times if you if you took some notes. And so I think like finding partners or finding other examples where they did similar things and following that process of how something got approved or how something made it through can get you a long way or just like not giving up. Your tenacity grows every time with every success. You're like, oh, we, we pushed that. We got that boulder up the hill. Like, give me some more boulders like that. Like this is a, this is a problem that you enjoy solving. It sounds like. Exactly. And I think, you know, government's really good with cat paths. You know, the one of the biggest hurdles I think that we face and a lot of people in government itself too face is that not everyone's on the same page about whether there is fog. <laughs> you know, right. the way things have always been done is really powerful. And to the point where doing something differently can feel, you know, you get questions whether something is is legal or not to to go talk to users about how they interact with a with the system. So I think, you know, first of all, getting people even on the same page that that is a thing worth doing. But then, as Emily said, you know, once you do forge a path, it becomes much easier to to continue you know, making inroads that way. Right. And you, you build that reputation of like, oh, we, we did we, like we were successful here. So others want to bring you in and say, well, you did this before. You can do this again. Right. Give us a little bit of a sense of Bloomworks, you know, size of people. It sounds like very focused on servicing government agencies, kind of digital work you do, just just so the listeners have an understanding. I think we're about 15 people, soon to be 18. We're, we're still pretty small. We have a big network of contractors that we work with that are like part of our extended family. 18 still a lot of people, though. So it's it a, lot a lot of birthdays of to remember. That's right? legit. Yeah. Yeah. 18 people, dream client, like who wins something, if you're like, God, if it could just walk in the door, it doesn't have to be a specific agency. Or, you know, is it the DMV? Is it healthcare? Is it VA? Like, I mean, these things are so big. Like what, where can you drive the most change? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think the ideal partner is one where they are truly looking to do something differently. A lot of people will say they want to try something innovative. They want to go agile. They have all these buzzwords that they've collected. It is really hard to find a partner who is really willing to be surprised by what they hear from users. And so that is an ideal client like to start with. And then I think the second thing, you know, we've been growing in a lot of different social service areas. So whether it's foster care or organ donation or, you know, SNAP and WIC programs, those have been, I think, the most exciting projects that we've taken on. Someone comes in and is excited. They want a little innovation. They hear you're real smart. They've got some interesting project they want to share with you. Like a lot of people do that. This happens in our world too. And you know, they just don't have the, the force behind them to get it done. Where can you tell that something is going to be real, that 
it's not just a conversation, but an organizational change actually is going to happen and you should be there to participate. I, mean, I think we look for situations where there's buy-in at multiple levels, where there, are, where there is executive sponsorship in doing things differently, because that's really where some of the power comes to move some of the mountains that are necessary in government work. You need, you know, a lot of these issues are not technology issues. A technology is going to be part of the solution, but a lot of the issues are rooted in making sure that you have the right talent in-house to assess different vendors and things like that. So that involves aligning HR and talent around how you hire people and retain people. It involves making sure that the procurement office is understanding what a sprint is and why it's valuable. And so it involves a lot of alignment that is impossible without executive level sponsorship. But I think you also need to see the buy-in through down through the chain to, to the people who are closest to where those issues are happening. So, you know, when I worked for, with the city of Boston, I always talked about how, you know, Patty and Registry was the one who knew better than anyone else what was wrong with their services and what, what needed to be online. And, and so it's really that buy-in through the full stack. Patty and Registry, she's got the knowledge. So you've got to, got to go all the way from the person who runs the department all the way down to, to Patty. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that as a starting place, we're looking for that kind of interest in seeing things done differently. But then I think in addition, it really helps to see some sort of demonstration of their willingness to do things differently too. So whether it's showing through, you know, doing a different kind of procurement process or showing through in smaller ways or, or pilot ways that they're they're interested in, in doing things differently, that also really helps because it's much easier, of course, to say that you're trying something new, very different to sort of get that alignment and sort of break out of that, um, the old cow path to figure out how, how things can be done differently. What are the telltale signs of the person who has that executive buy-in and is, re- is ready and willing to do what it takes? Like, how do you know, like, oh yeah, like this, this can happen in this org. And, and what, are the, what are the signs that tell you, oh, like this just isn't set up right. We're, we're not set up for success. I think risk tolerance is a, is a big one. Like I think I think large organizations or governments, I mean, they're, they're responsible for a lot and their ability, like a lot of services that are crucial. And if they're coming into it, clearly only seeing the risks of, of what could happen, that's usually kind of not an ideal situation. I think they need to be looking at like the opportunities and understanding that the risk that they take on is not necessarily the risk to the the services they're responsible for, right? Like they need to be able to kind of show up and, and be willing to try it, try it differently, like Lauren said, which is, I think, scary for a lot of long-term career government folks. You know what worries me? And I, I think we have a similar experience here, which is a, a big org comes in and they see that we do things with computers, like that, that's exciting to them. And when they file it under innovation, they think that they're keeping it in a box so it can't mess with the rest of the org. But increasingly, I'm just like, this is huge risk that anything will ever ship because the head of innovation will depart within 18 months. And the, you know, and then the thing that gets delivered has 500 users because it's an innovation product and they're all test users. And then nobody really wants to budget to, to upgrade and take care of it and iterate upon it because it's not core to mission, right? And so are you finding that too? Like, I just feel like that is almost when the larger the organization, the more likely they are to box you into like, you're, oh, you're over here. And the harder success becomes. That so resonates. I mean, I think for a long time, we saw things labeled innovation as being put in a sandbox so that they could fail in isolation if they were to fail. And I think the most valuable work we can be doing is making sure that the same kinds of practices that we've applied to these 
in municipal government, I think the equivalent is like a, an adopt a hydrant app, you know, something yeah. where it's it's not a core piece of technology to the, you know, to the city operating, but instead applying things like iterative development to boston.gov or any of the services that we're doing, because those are much more core and viewed widely as core to how the public perceives government and their interactions to it. And so I think that's where you start having successes is demonstrating it can be done on the major stuff. And I'll just add to that, you know, to Emily's comment about risk, I think the hard part is that people don't often see that the riskiest thing is the status quo, you know, so many technology no, projects don't. fail. That's, that's and so, it's very hard for them to see it, right? Yes. Right. So I think there's just like a misperception that this innovative stuff needs to belong in a sandbox and needs to be allowed to fail. But it's, it's in fact, I think, much less risky than, than the way things have been done before. So everyone needs to stop and think core to mission and get out of status quo over there at the DMV. That, that's where... <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. Tell, tell us about something that you worked on that, you know, that you're most proud of or that you feel like had great impact. We've done a few projects around child welfare, like how, how youth age out of foster care. And I think one mm-hmm. of the things that was most interesting is I think we went into it trying to design a product with a company we were partnered with, who is also a nonprofit or, or who was a nonprofit, not within government, but we were partnering with different child welfare organizations, different counties and states. And working with them to do research and talk to sort of the youth that were aging out and understand some of their experiences with services. Because I think there was this interesting moment where everyone realized what they were doing wasn't working and didn't really know what would work. And so we were able to kind of jump in and and with the intent to design a product that would help, but realize that actually nobody was really aligned on what the problems were. And we came out of it with a report that was actually written to the people that we talked to, like written to foster youth, written to child welfare workers in a language that was just super clear that outlined the biggest obstacles to moving forward. One of which was mental health service access and just saying like, we can't really build a product in this space until we all agree what's actually needed because everything is just going to be total band-aids until we've agreed on some sort of metric that we want to see change or some sort of like, North Star that needs that needs more attention. And if we're not even acknowledging that mental health services are important for this group, then we're not going to move the needle on any of it. So it's like, it's kind of like taking a step back, which makes it less of a sexy tech problem and more of just like a, this is a more foundational place that we need to be right now. You've got an organization that's engaged you and they, they know you're going to put rectangles on a screen and talk to them and do wireframes and things like that. And you're, you're about to come back to them and say, actually, you shouldn't do any of that unless your strategy around engaging with mental health services for this particular cohort is really well defined because all the work that we might do afterwards might be pointless. How do you give that presentation? Like that, that's, a, yeah. that's a hell of a PowerPoint to bring up when they're expecting rectangles. It was a tough moment. And I think I think it was mostly just that we couldn't really agree on a single path forward. We we're like, oh, wow, if we can't like as a product team Mm-hmm. And research team like agree on which direction we would focus on. That's an inter- that's like a new one for us. So we just decided to to add another like phase of conversations, and then we wrote a report, and the report traveled much further than a product would have, which was cool yep. to to see. And did it change minds and align people? They, you know, the organization that we worked with, their name is Think of Us, and they they have taken this report in a different direction than I think they they intended to. And I don't want to speak too much for them, but they 
are now helping connect youth to, to services from for COVID relief funds. So I think they, instead of developing like an app that would solve everyone's problems, they refocused on being a community resource for services that might be available to youth and young adults that are aging out. And, and I think that makes complete sense based on what we found and was great to see. They'll call again. The truth is great for business. It just kind of does slow things down. You could have stayed down the path and just been like, we think this is the right way to do it and then delivered them the prototype app and they're going to call again. That's the way this works. You, you know, that's what a great outcome. Well, yeah. And I think that gets to, you know, when, when you say slows down the process, you know, I think that one of the issues we we face and sure you, you see too, is that you know, a lot of situations, the outcome people are measuring to is not the time to deliver better outcomes for people, like for human beings, but is rather like the time until we publish this RFP or the time yeah. that we sign a contract with a vendor or something, but it's it's not really like the time to deliver outcomes. And so the issue is that they might hire, you know, a more traditional vendor sooner and start building the wrong thing sooner. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but with the discovery period in there where they learn something about the fundamental issues and have an opportunity to do something about it, that's really where you, you talked about like the ideal partner. I think that's that's typically what we're looking for because, you know, as our friends at New America say, you know, if you digitize a broken process, you end up with a digitized broken process. <laughs> and, and but so it's so much faster. It's more inefficient. It's more efficiently it, inefficient. It connects to Salesforce. It's really great. <laughs> exactly. Look, I, I mean, you know, to me, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking sometimes it is a wonderful gift when the very experienced person on the other side comes in and says, I know exactly what you do and I need you to do it for me on a certain schedule. And you're like, hell yeah. Let's just, oh, good. It's like going to an, a, you know, like a really nice, consistent farm-to-table restaurant. Like, yeah, it's been there 10 years, and the Brussels sprouts are like exactly what you'd expect. But God, is it good. You know, then there's the other half that come in with that level of ambiguity. And it's very hard, I think, and, and you have to embrace it deep down, that what you do might not be the perfect answer. And that is, that's like an eternal struggle for the agency model, right? Which is every now and then it's like, you don't need us right here, right now. You need something else. And if I'm a good advocate for you, I'm, I'm going to tell you that. And then have you incentivized your people to tell them that? And is that, that's a long, long struggle. And I think actually a big reason that we found it really helpful to not have a product that we are selling is that we have a lot more space in right. those discovery and research mm-hmm. phases of a project to have the solution be emergent from that, you know, that phase of work. And so we've had a few other projects, one in particular, where the scope of work involved a sort of a second phase of work that was as yet to be defined. It was kind of like, we will end up working with three agencies and we don't yet know if that's going to be, you know, health and human services, or maybe it's working with HR to figure out how you change your hiring process to make sure you're hiring modern technologists into government. And so that kind of flexibility has been really huge for us in, in the scoping of it, because we're not, again, trying to to make all of the roads point to our product. Is your is your whole world mostly RFPs responding to RFPs, submitting questions to RFPs, walking through that? Well, they don't. Long, they don't have a question. Slow. I mean, they don't have a choice. The government can't walk in and be like, "I want to give you some money." And be like, "Hey, can I just can we get this started?" Uh, they're, they're really terrible documents. <laughs> they're just really terrible. I feel like we my got soul- one. We got one good one this year. One. We got oh, we got yes, a response yes. from one of those recently. Like, or not like we didn't win it, but we got like the the notes from the whole group yeah. that that read through it and it 
it was hilarious. Like each of them had like 10 things to respond to. So you could just read down the spreadsheet and see their responses. And you could tell they were having some fun with it and just like, oh, wow, like they copy and paste this from something. And it makes no sense at all for what, not about ours. It was about a different yeah. application. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but, and then, and then for ours, it was like, oh, wow, they seem to get it. But our budget was probably three times what they ended up going with. So there, there's the other thing too, that you never get that budget or if you do, it's yeah. Now, how do you pace that? Cause that's gotta be a big part of your job. It's, I mean, it's, it is tricky. I mean, those, I think investing in being able to see an opportunity, like, you know, see someone's struggle that they are trying to work around and then try to present a, trying to see through the RFP <laughs> right. is, is really a, Skill. a, yeah, exactly. And once you, once you build that muscle, I think it becomes a lot easier, but there, that is an investment to make. And then, you know, I think what we found too, is that especially at the local level, like you get into some of the really crazy requirements, like really outdated things. You know, if you're so lucky to win one of these things, such <laughs> so as madness. You know, there's a, there's a classic rule in government contracting, which is if you didn't write the RFP, you're probably not going to win it. And uh, I didn't believe that at first. And then my heart was broken many times. And then when you get to write the RFP, boy, that feels good. And then you win it. Woo, that's a wonderful feeling. Not directly, like you don't ever get to just go ahead, but, but like, Inform the RFP, yeah, right? It's more like... Is that the future for your org is sort of like being that... Is there like a quasi-agency of record thing that you can aim for? Or is it really just like you're going to have to turn through these in order to build your rep and to grow? Like how, how do you see that part of your world? I mean, I think we'd love to see just a leveling up in terms of the the sort of standards that you know dictate procurements and seeing that documents embedded in documents the, the barriers to entry so you've seen so, it too i'm not losing yeah. my mind like that's okay <laughs> good because i only rfps i don't know why okay but i mean the the barriers entry for in particular i think small minority and women-owned businesses is really high and so unless you are steeped in this and really have a large legal and capture team to help you to get through these it's it's a really insurmountable object and so i think we would like to just see a leveling up in terms of like best practices in plain language and just speaking to people like other human beings in these documents. There's no legal requirement no, that you so use bad. this crazy it's language. So bad. You know, too, it's also like I, I've talked to other people who have organizations that are somewhat analogous to yours, right? And maybe minority led or women led. And, and what they talk about a lot is just how the odds get stacked against you. Like there are, you know, just these giant company set up essentially, you know, to respond to those RFPs in the most strategic way possible. They'll staff their leadership team so that the optics are right. And then they'll just, and there are thousands of employees and they'll just go. And you're, you're competing against that from this, like with 18 people from a place of genuineness, like it can be tough. Yeah. And oftentimes it really is, you know, legally difficult, you know, so we just started a project with the city and county of San Francisco and in order to to even contract with them, I mean, they have a pre-approved list of a certain number of vendors, technology vendors, and the one that somebody recommended that we try to work with in order to be the vehicle that we do work with the San the city and county of San Francisco through was like a you know random computer technology store in the Bay Area, 
And so, but there are only a handful of these like approved companies. And so you have companies like ours that are going and making friends with this like computer shop so that we can then do a project and they just kind of like skim something off the top because they're technically the prime contractor on it. And this is really not unique. This is really happens no. all over the place. And so it's really, you know, but if we didn't have the no, you know, friends in California to ask these questions of, we wouldn't have been able to figure out who to talk to and, and how to get this stood up. It's really, um, it's really difficult. When you work with the government, it, it does seem like that is just part of it. And it's, uh, there are a lot of people like you and, and people that we know who are working like hell to get through it. And I mean, eventually pro progress does get made, but where do you see things improving? I do see things improving. I think it's as always maybe slower than I would like it to be. I think like having more money for, for states to buy technology is going to be is going to be huge. And it seems mm -hmm. like we're heading that direction. You know, I was part of a group called the United States Digital Service that went, was an Obama edition that has, is still there, has stayed through and grown through the last two offices. And I think mm -hmm. having the the two-year term of government, like I did and like others. Wait, which, which org is this? Which, sorry. The United sorry. States Digital Service. Oh, USDS. Okay, sure, sure. I can use the acronym. Um, you can. <laughs> so having that group of people who do a two-year term and, you know, like myself, then go off and are suddenly interested in working in this space, I think is has shaken things up. And some of them have mm -hmm. stayed and some of them have gone back again and others have, you know, like, like us started companies in the space or started companies that are just more aware and seeing that change has been huge. I mean, I think like I got into this government tech space in 2012 when I joined Code for America and nobody knew what the hell I was doing with Code for America. They're like, you're doing what? Like, like you're building tech for a city. Like, why would you do this? And now everybody knows everybody that I interact with, which might be self-selecting <laughs> had some idea of like what, what technology and government could be and what it what it should be and like what the the difference is between the Amazon experience and the applying for X benefit with the government experience. And so I think I've seen it shift and I think it's it's going faster now than it was then, which makes me feel happy and a little tired, but mostly happy. I'm curious what motivates you? Is it like utter outrage at how bad some of these systems are? Or is it like, I really, really want to, you know, have a, an impact on the world and support, you know, the most vulnerable? Or is it some combination of those? Like when you, like most days when you wake up, is it outrage or just aspirational? Like I'm going to, I'm going to do good in this world and make it better. It's both of those things. So it's, so it's outrage at, at whatever the thing is that I'm pissed about. There's a list of them. And depending on the day. <laughs> we all got our list. Yes. And then I think it's like the potential for what could change and then i think also just the the technology like as a tech person the technology is it just like feels like it's like low-hanging fruit or like fruit rotting on the ground like whatever you want to say i mean i talked to someone yesterday who mentioned that their foster parent like to apply to be a foster parent you have to like fill out this inquiry form and on that form which is quite quite long it asks you like about your sex life like if you have a healthy sex life, which like, that's just not a question that needs to be on that form. And she was pissed about it. She was like, I've been trying to get this form, this field off of this form for, I tried for months and then COVID hit and the provider just said, no, we can't do that actually at all. So she's like now still trying to get this field off of this inquiry form for her whole state. And it's been over a year at least. And like, she's not able to do it. So there's just these very basic, like 
that would literally take me five minutes. Like I could do that for you if I had the access. So there's like this missed connection of tech. Like I could totally fix this if I just had the access and it, it makes it very addictive. Right. Knowing what's possible versus what is actually happening. And that is like digging some ditches. I just really appreciate just like that level of effort and tenacity it takes to keep pursuing that. I I had the moment when, you know, my elderly relatives were like not able to book vaccine appointments because the site like the, you know, the sites were just so bad. And I was like, this is the pop like we failed. Like I had this really depressed moment where I was like, we as a technology industry have like truly failed we failed our our parents which is really sound dark and 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 sad but it's hard not to feel that way when you know what's possible and when you know that you're you know creating these things for for human beings i want to ask a simple and maybe a little silly but it'll actually be very interesting to me question which is what government websites and digital products have you seen where you just go wow that's good i'll start with emily the state of michigan consolidated benefits applications and worked with an agency there that that I just love. And they, they were able to redesign a bunch of forms and consolidate under into a single or into less applications. It may even be a single application. And it's just, it's beautiful if you can redesign a form so that people can access something and access more than they were able to do before. I think I know forms are not the most exciting. No, no forms are. We're we're big form fans, hundred percent. What are you going to do? You got to have forms if you're going to have a government. <laughs> There's no choice. All right. So Michigan benefits application. What's the agency that you were impressed by? Sevilla was the agency, okay, and they are based in Michigan. And then Lauren, is there anything that you've liked about the government in general? Really, I mean, there have been there have been things I think that are good examples. I think the biggest issue I see, so there are some examples that are good. Um, I've seen some great, you know, signing up for alerts to, to know when your garbage day is or, you know, paying for a parking meter from your phone, simple things like that. I think the issue is that there, those mm-hmm. situations are typically not very consistent. Like you might get a little glimmer of something, like one small process you do is okay. And then you turn around and you you, or you get booted from that website and you're like, where am I now? <laughs> I'm, I'm seven layers deep and I don't know where I am. Sure. And so I think the struggle really is in making that user experience more uniformly good. So one of the really interesting things that I saw um, that I've seen before is that when we ask, you know, just for feedback on a form um, that we've redesigned, so often if people mention that having a good experience, the words that they use to describe the experience were surprised. And so, you know, it's such an Mm. outlier when people have a decent experience with government, even if they're, you know, irate and like paying for a parking ticket or something, you know, they're, they're still so surprised and grateful for a seamless experience to do it that I think the hope is that those stop being outliers and those can be a bit more consistent. All right. There's good things out there. Tell us if people want to get in touch, if they wanted to talk to you, if they wanted to see you on Twitter, if they wanted to uh, check out your company, I'll start with Lauren this time. Where would they go? I mean, we're, I'm happy to give out my email. <laughs> I'm Lauren at, at bloomworks.digital or on Twitter sometimes um, at LF Lockwood. But I think just email is an easy way. And we, I, I should say, um, am always looking to meet others in this space, whether you're involved in it and looking to do something more. Or I think my favorite place actually is just people who have been in government for a long time. And one thing that we see a lot is just burnout and people looking for someone to commiserate with. And so I, I love talking with people who are working in go- in government to, to solve these issues from inside, because I think that's where a lot of the promise is right now. 
Emily, what about you? Yeah, I mean, we're we are Bloomworks on Twitter, which is a good a good way to reach us as well. I'm my name is Emilyville on Twitter, which is a good way to find me. I'm not the most active tweeter, but I do consume a lot of content and respond. Well, this is great. I mean, it's beautiful work and it's meaningful work and you have a a lot of special knowledge about it. And thank you. My goodness. I'm just sort of, I'm thinking about those meetings as I'm talking to you. And of course, I've been in those same meetings. Deep respect and admiration. I think also you just never assumed that anybody else would do it willingly, right? Like, (laughs) here's two people who are like, yeah, we're going over there today. I mean, we deal with a lot. We, we have a lot of great people on our team. It's fun working with this group and with other partners in the space, you know, at, at different organizations. And the people who have to write those RFPs, I mean, just tremendous respect for the people who are day in and day out doing this work. So I feel like that's what is motivating through all of it. Well, thank you for coming on our podcast. Gina, do you want to tell the people who you are and then I'll tell them who I am? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much, so much for coming on today. I'm Gina Trapani. I am the CEO of Postlight, which I'm not used to saying yet because I just newly minted. Postlight is a digital strategy, engineering and design firm located in New York City uh, in the Flatiron District. You should email us for hello at postlight.com and you can find us online at postlight.com. And you should stop by our office because it's just starting to open now. We're at 101 Fifth Avenue. Woohoo! And uh, I'm, I'm there right now. I'm Paul Ford, co-founder of Postlight. Get in touch. Check it out. Thank you very much to our friends from Bloomworks. Thanks for having us.